to be in church today, amen? Good to be alive today, amen that? And it's good to be saved. Greatest thing in the world is to be saved. And I uh, thank the Lord that he saved me. We're going to look in uh, Genesis chapter number 2 today. Genesis chapter number 2. I, uh, we don't have a television, but we're in the hotel here, and I got to watch the uh, inauguration with the new president. And uh, I enjoyed that. And then yesterday, uh, I got to watch all the huzzies walking around in the rain. And uh, I didn't enjoy that. Um, I'm, if you're visiting, come back next week and hear the preacher. Don't let me chase you away. I probably lost some people already. But, uh, you know, they're just mad because they lost. And that's why they're out there. But there's a hidden agenda in that thing. Uh, they're talking about reproduction rights. That's a new phrase. You know, they take sodomy and they make a new phrase, gay. And now they've taken abortion and they're calling it reproduction rights. Elizabeth Warren was on the TV. She was up in Boston leading the women up there and she had her Planned Parenthood uh, shirt on. And Planned Parenthood, what they do is they kill babies. That's what it is. The, uh, the opposite of uh, day is night. And the opposite of cold is hot. And the opposite of uh, life is not choice. So I don't know how I got on this, but to say this, all that stuff is anti-family. They're not just an anti-Trump rally. That's an anti-God rally. Because the basic equal right that they're talking about is the right to kill babies. What, a, what about babies' rights? What about babies' lives count? Uh, I read recently that we have killed more babies in America than the population of Canada. And, you know, it really is an abomination on our country. And a lot of times we just put it out of mind. We don't think about it. But it is, it is a holocaust. And uh, it's against the family. And I don't know why I had to get into that this morning. And, uh, but I, I just felt like it. I just felt like I needed to say something about that. Because it really, it really bothers me. That whole, that whole abortion thing just really bothers me. And as Christians, you know, we ought to be involved. And we ought to vote. And we ought to do everything we can. A lot of people just don't know any better. Because they don't know the Lord. But we know better and we're responsible. The more we know, the more we're responsible for um, I want to talk to you about marriage this morning. Uh, so far, uh, at a family conference, I've been able to preach to everybody. This morning, I'm going to preach to married people, but uh, I'm sure there's some people here that aren't married, that plan on being married, will be married. So I hope you get something from this, and I hope you get blessed even uh, if you're not a married person. In Genesis chapter 2, and verse number 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a help me for him. Now God said, let us make man in our image. God made man. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We, we didn't come from a monkey. I'm not related to any monkey. And uh, my wife's name is April, with an E on the end. And I call her Ape for short. And sometimes if we're out, you know, and I say, hey, Ape, I think people look at me like I'm being mean to my wife or something. 
But uh, I'm related. I won't say it. But anyway, I'm not related to a monkey. And then the Bible said the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs. He closed up the flesh. And the rib which the Lord God took from the man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let's pray. Father, pray you bless the message. Pray we'll get something from it. Pray you help us. Pray you bless this church and this pastor and these people. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many married people are here today? Raise your hand if you're married. All right? And put your hand down. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many people here today are happily married? Okay, Mrs. Clark, I paid her to do that. And then I'll ask you this question. How many of you, your spouse, is happily married? Gives you something to think about. See that? All right, I've got my wife trained really good. She raises her hand for everything. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Marriage is a plan of God. And God is the one that created marriage, one man and one woman. And I hope you have enough sense to know that. Apparently some people don't in these days, okay? There's two things I don't want to get over. I don't ever want to get over my salvation. I don't ever want to forget where the Lord saved me from and what the Lord took me out of and what the Lord has done for me and what the Lord's going to do for me. It's a great thing to be saved. Most best thing ever happened my whole life was to be saved. Mrs. Clark and I, we both got saved back in 1975. And uh, I was 30 years old. She was 28 years old. And I uh, haven't changed a bit since then. But uh, we were saved. She was very Catholic. You know, the Bible talks about Cornelius, that he was a devout man. And he was devout, but he wasn't saved. And she was very devout in her religion. And uh, we started going to a, a church. It was only three doors from our house. And uh, uh, Pastor Gardner had been out at Midwestern, one of Tom Malone's graduates, and came in there to New Jersey and started a church. And we started going, and she started hearing the Word of God. And she would talk to the pastor, and he would say, The Bible says, and she would say, The church says. And he would say, the Bible says. And she would say, well, the church says. And one night, a Saturday night, the spiritual giant I was, I went to bed. And she got on her knees and prayed and opened the Bible and said, Lord, show me the truth. And she got saved there reading that King James Bible. And uh, the next day, Sunday, we got baptized that night, Sunday night, in a lake. Shined the cars out on the lake. And uh, my mom and me and my wife and her sister all followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And I want to tell you, it's, it's been a trip. There's a song that says, some folks, some folks think I flip, but I enjoy the trip. And I enjoy, man, I enjoy being saved. I, I, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's just wonderful. Just, we just got to praise God every day for our salvation. So great salvation. The second best thing ever happened to me was that my wife married me. And I married her and we got married together. She said, I do and 
I said, I do, and we did. Got married before we were saved. We were married, I guess, 10 years before we got saved. And uh, got saved in the Catholic Church and just all that kind of stuff. And uh, our marriage was good before we got saved. Well, I loved her, and she loved me, and we got along great and everything. But man, after we got saved, then it just became wonderful. Everything changed. All things Old things pass away, all things become new. So I hope today, if you're saved, that you're glad you're saved. And uh, if you're married, I hope that you're glad you're married. And uh, some folks here have been married a long time. Uh, There's always room for improvement. Good, better, best. Let's never rest till our good is better and our better is best. Uh, If you've been saved 50 years, we still ought to be working at being a better Christian. No matter how close to God you are, you ought to be working at being closer to God. And no matter how good your marriage is, you need to work on your marriage. Let me say this. Having a great marriage is not automatic. When I grew up, I lived on a farm, and we had a stove down in the cellar. Used to have big vents in the floor. And... uh, Somebody would have to get down and and put wood or put coal in that stove. It didn't just work automatically. And you'd go to bed at night, and they'd get that thing fired up. you lay there in bed, man, be sweating like crazy, kick the covers off. About 5 o'clock in the morning, you wake up, and instead of sweat, you got icicles. And you had linoleum floor, and it was freezing cold, and nobody wanted to get out of bed and put that wood back on that fire. Now today, you just get a thermostat, and you just, it's automatic. And a lot of people go into marriage and think, well, it's just going to be automatic. It's just, it's just going to happen. Can I tell you something? You've got you to put the wood on the fire. You've got to keep the honey in the honeymoon. You've got to keep the honey in the honeymoon. And uh, Mr. Clark and I have been married 51 years, and we're still on our honeymoon. We're out here in Michigan and hanging out together. And uh, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. We had, a, we had a couple. I met my wife when she was 14. She owed us 12 kids. Her dad left her. And uh, the priest bought her mom. It was like a haunted house in town. It was the worst house in the town. And the Catholic Church put her and her brothers and sisters in this house. And it was, just happened to be right down the street from me. And uh, I met her when she was 14. I'm two years older than she is. And uh, fell in love with her and uh, got engaged when she was 17. She was walking around school with an engagement ring on. And uh, I was talking to somebody back here about tattoos. She was 16 years old, and I got her name tattooed on my arm. And I was sitting on her front step, and one of her sisters told her mother. And she came out, and she lifted up my sleeve, looked at the name, went back in the house, never said a word after that. Good mother-in-law. <laughs> but uh, got married. We got our license on our 18th birthday. In New Jersey, you had to be 18 uh, to get married without parental consent. And nobody knew where her dad was. So on the 18th birthday, we went and got the license. You had to wait 72 hours, and three days later, we got married. Let me read you a poem, and I hope you like it. I'm not a real good poet. The first time I saw her, she was riding a bike. I didn't know then she was the one I would like.
When I fell in love, I fell in love deep. I knew that our love was a love that would keep. The years have gone by, and we've changed since then. But our love is as strong as it's ever been. If I could start over, I'd love her again, only I'd treat her better than I did back then. So I love my wife, and uh, she loves me, and I love being saved. I love being married. I love having a Christian home. Mrs. Clark and I, some of you are not going to believe this, but we've been married 51 years, and we've only had one fight. Started on the honeymoon. I tell people, my wife says, don't tell these people your stories because they don't know us. But uh, I tell some people, I'd say my wife is lean and mean, and uh, you don't mess with her. My wife has a pistol, and it's in the drawer. And she's been for years trying to get me to buy her bullets, and I won't buy her the bullets. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. You ask her after church. I ain't buying her no bullets. She gets mad, man. She really gets mad. She don't mess around. Uh, Let's look at some things here. I need to get going on this. Um, I'm going to give you five words today. And uh, we're going to look at those words just quickly. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, the Lord God says, not good the man should be alone. I make a help meet for him. Now here's God. He takes man creates man, and he puts him in the garden. And Adam has everything. He has, he's the king over the whole world. Everything is his. We can't imagine the kind of paradise that the Garden of Eden was before the fall. We can't imagine that, how beautiful. The most beautiful place you've ever seen is nothing compared to the way it was before the fall. So here, here's Adam. And he's got everything in the world, but here's the problem. He doesn't have anybody to share it with. Do you ever go somewhere and you say, boy, I wish my wife was here, I wish my husband was here, I wish the kids were here, or I wish somebody could see this? You know, the, the best part of life is having somebody to live it with. At least that's my opinion. I mean, when I go away and preach, I, I can't wait. I start counting the days till I get home. But when my wife is here, it's just, it's altogether different. Because I have somebody with me. I have a companion. I have a friend. I have somebody to share it with. Um, Marriage is God's cure for loneliness. God's cure for loneliness. Now, let me just give a disclaimer here to some, maybe some single people here. I tell people in our church, I say, listen, it's better to want something you don't have. Maybe you're a young person and looking for that right person. I say it's better to want something you have, want something you don't have, than to have something you don't want. So you need to make sure that you don't just get desperate and just marry anybody because you're lonely. You need to make sure you marry that right person. Hey, listen, there's, there's a lid for every pot, and you just got to find the right lid. Amen? So God makes man, and the first word is companionship. Companionship. I have a wife, and I want to spend time with her. I want to to be with her. I want to enjoy her company. We have three children, and we have nine grandchildren. 
I mean, I'm telling you, just family is everything to me. I just love being with my family. I think of uh, Pastor Brown going over to see Daniel. And uh, I was praying for him that they would just have a great time together. I'm so spoiled. I live downstairs. My son lives upstairs, three of her grandchildren. And my son, my other son lives in the same town. My daughter's not far from there. I get to see all my grandkids are in church with us. I'm, I'm totally spoiled, and I love it. But the idea is companionship. Let me tell you this. Some of you younger people, your kids are going to grow up so fast. You're going to look back one day and say, how did this happen? My grandkids are growing up. I've got my oldest grandchild, 24 years old. I mean, it's just I can't believe it. You know, your life is like a vapor. It just appears for a little time, vanishes away. And we need, listen, love them while you have them. Love them while you have them. I heard an interview with Billy Graham on the radio and uh, with some Christian program and turned the Christian radio on. They were interviewing Billy Graham. And they asked him a question. They said, if you could go over again, start your ministry over again, if you were still a young man and you were just starting out, what would you do different? And I thought he would say, well, you know, I'd go to more countries. I'd have longer crusades. I'd have bigger crusades. And here's what he said. I spend more time with my family. Spend more time with my family. I'm a pastor, and I, I pastor a church, and, and that's my ministry. But my first ministry is my family. I don't neglect the church for my family, but I'm not going to neglect my family for the church. There's nobody going to get down to the end of their life and be on their deathbed and say, I wish I hadn't spent so much time with my family. I wish I'd have worked more. It isn't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Now is the time. Whatever family you have, you need to make the best of it and enjoy them while you have them. They just grow up real quick. So the first word is that idea of companionships. And then the Bible says, God took Adam's rib, and he took that rib and he made Eve. Now, Adam and Eve are a picture of Christ in the church. Husbands, love your wives, even as what? Christ loved the church. So think about this for a minute. Adam's bride is part of his body before she becomes his bride. It's an amazing picture of the church. And Adam's bride came from a wound in his side. Isn't that a beautiful picture in the Word of God? We right now are part of the body of Christ. And at the rapture, we become the bride of Christ. So here's Adam, and God makes Eve. Now you men, think about this for a minute. God puts Adam to sleep, and Adam's never seen a woman in the whole world, never been one, and he wakes up, and there's Eve. I, I just can't imagine that. He just probably jumped up and started running around in circles and whooping and hollering. And every man in this room knows this. God saved the best for last. No doubt about it. I just, I just, I mean, you can have paintings of mountains and you can see rivers and look at the ocean. But for a man, the most beautiful thing in the world is a woman. And God made, listen, God made one man and one woman. 
when Adam, when Adam woke up, here's what he said. Eve, you're the most beautiful woman I ever saw. And Eve said, Adam, you're the only man in the world for me. And we laugh. And my wife don't laugh because she's heard me say that 25 times. But it's the truth. Your beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And you need to think your wife is the most beautiful person in the world. And you need to think your husband is the only man in the world for you. And don't get your eyes on something else, on somebody else. Somebody said, you know, people uh, are looking for greener pastures, but it may be artificial turf. So you better just, you know, the Bible said God. Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. The second word is this. Um, what is the second word? He said, for this cause shall man, therefore shall man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. What does that word cleave mean? It means stick like glue. I, I, I was a drywall finisher. I, got, I was in construction, started when I was in high school. And then I got saved and God put me in the ministry. Well, we used to glue sheetrock together. You put one layer of sheetrock up, then you glue another letter, layer to it. And you couldn't get it apart. So in our marriage, listen, there's supposed to be a closeness in marriage like no other closeness. Was this idea of cleaving under our wife and being one. You can live in the same house. And you can eat at the same table. And you can sleep in the same bed and not be close to somebody. Now, there's being close, and there's being close. You can have two eggs on a plate, and that's close. And you can have scrambled eggs, and that's really close. Now, this may be a poor illustration, but in our marriage, I want to be the scrambled eggs. And some of you are thinking, well, you're pretty scrambled. (laughs) But that's what I want in my marriage. I mean... The Bible says the two shall become one. You take two eggs, you put them together and scramble them, you got one egg there, really. Just a little bit bigger. So we need to have a close. Marriage is supposed to be, listen, marriage is a relationship. Mrs. Clark and I, we, are, we have a marriage relationship. We've been living as husband and wife for 51 years. And that is supposed to be the closest relationship in the world. As far as from person to person. The, the husband and wife are supposed to be closer than the, than the, the father and his son. The kid, hey, listen, your kids are going to grow up one day and leave. You better get to know your husband. You're spoiling the wrong person. Don't spoil the kids, spoil your husband. Hey, listen, God put Adam in the world to take care of the garden, to keep it and address it. And then he made Eve to take care of Adam, to be a help meet for him. My wife dresses me. I asked her this morning, what am I wearing to church today? I can't match stuff. I can't see very good. I can't tell blue from black. My daughter-in-law texts my wife, dad's up there with a black jacket and blue pants. <laughs> you know, you just get old, that stuff happens. But she don't run me down. She don't criticize me, she helps me. 
The Bible says a wise woman buildeth her house, but a foolish woman plucks it down with her hands. So you don't want to run each other down. You want to build each other up. Marriage is a relationship, supposed to be the closest relationship on earth. In a marriage, there's supposed to be intimacy. Now listen to me, there's supposed to be physical intimacy. Marriage is a physical relationship. Courting and dating is not. Just throw that out there for some people. And then there's more than physical, uh, uh, physical closeness, physical intimacy, but there's got to be emotional intimacy. Got to be soulmates. You can, you can be close to somebody and not be intimate with them. But then listen, for saved people, there's spiritual intimacy. It's just amazing that there's a third dimension that lost people don't have in their marriage. The thing that brings my wife and I really close together is we love God and we're serving God and we're living for God. We're living together and we love each other, but it's not about her, it's not about me, it's about him. And that's made all the difference in our marriage. It's just opened up a whole new dimension. Now, let me give you a thought about being close. No matter how close I am to the Lord, I want to be closer. Somebody say amen. Amen. No matter how close I am to God, I'm not close enough. Moses said to the Lord, he said, I want to know you. He says, show me your glory. He'd already been up on the mountain. He saw the thunder and the lightning and the mountain shaking. He saw the burning bush. He talked to the Lord face to face. And he said, basically, I want to be close to you. Paul, after he was on the Damascus road and Jesus spoke to him, he said that I may know him. Don't ever be satisfied with where you are in your Christian life. There's always more ground to take. There's always higher ground. There's always pressing on. And in our marriage, in our relationship, in our family, in our homes, with our children, with our brothers, our sisters, my family is so ridiculously close, it's it's crazy. But I want it that way. So to have a close relationship, let me give you a couple thoughts real quick. All relationships, all relationships are built on one thing. Okay, they're built on truth. There has to be trust. I have to trust my wife. She has to trust me. If you're going to come to this church, you've got to trust the pastor. If you're going to go to the bank, you've got to trust the banker. So every relationship is built on trust. If you don't trust somebody, you're not going to have a close relationship. Now, trust is built on honesty. Trust is built on truth. I, I'm not going to trust somebody that's not honest. Somebody's got to, somebody lies to me. I don't know when they're lying or when they're telling the truth. I, I can't, you know, if somebody's hiding stuff, I can't trust them. We have a young man in our church. He comes in on the buses and he, he stole some money off of somebody. And uh, it was one of his friends. And, and we, had, we had cameras. We had to show him on the picture, stealing the money, and he still wouldn't confess it. And he's just recently come back to church. And we're letting him come back to church, but I don't trust him. I told everybody on the staff, I said, keep an eye on him. Don't let him out of your sight. Because I don't trust him. Because he wasn't honest. 
So if we're going to have a close relationship, it's got to be built on trust, and the trust is built on truth. But let me give you the third thing. The honesty, the truth, is built on openness. Built on openness. If you're going to have intimacy in your marriage, you can't be hiding a bunch of stuff. You can't be living a double life. You can't be sneaking around. You've got to, there's got to be an openness there. There was, there was nothing between Adam and Eve. There was nothing. They didn't have clothes on, and they were innocent, and they didn't know better. But there was nothing between them. So in our marriages, if we're going to be close, we've got to be honest. You can't act one way. You can't act insincere. You can't just, you know, you, you, you can't just say stuff just to say it. Like a lot of people do. You got to mean what you say. So if you want that closeness, you got to have that openness and you got to have that honesty. If you're going to have a close relationship, there's got to be communication. People come to me all the time for marriage counseling and they'll say, you know, we just, we have a communication problem. We just don't communicate. I have people come to me and they say, you know, our teenagers, they don't talk to us. I mean, they, they go up in their room and they just, they get on the whatever. They talk to their friends. They get on whatever these different things are, Facebooks and texts, but they don't talk to us. You know what's happening? People aren't communicating. We need to communicate. Number one, we need to communicate love. Love is a feeling. All right? Love is a feeling. And I can love my wife but she may not even know it. She may not think I love her. I, I read in the Sword of the Lord magazine years ago, they were trying to sell advertising, and they said, when you don't advertise, it's like this. Winking in the dark. When you wink in the dark, you know what you're doing, but nobody else does. So you have to communicate love. You have to tell people you love them. I was talking to the men last night. But I got grown men in my church. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the grandfather in our church. I'm not like him. I am him. But not just my grandkids. I'm everybody's grandfather. And uh, I have grown men come to me crying and say, my dad never told me he loved me. And I tell them, well, you know, I'm sure he loved you. He just didn't express it the right way. And I hope I'm right. I hope I'm telling the truth. But just because I'm a man doesn't mean I'm not going to tell people I love them. I tell my sons I love them. I tell all my grandkids I love them. I tell my wife I love her. I tell the guys in church I love them. I don't tell the ladies. I hug all the guys in the church. I don't hug the ladies. I have a deal with the men. I say, you hug your wife, I hug my wife. And that's the way it ought to be. But you've got to express love. We have a Bible college. It's not big. We've got about 85 kids. And uh, this one guy, John Pierre, he's, from, he's a Haitian, born in New York City, right in the middle of the city, joined the Marine Corps, went to Iraq, and a soldier handed him a gospel tract. Never said a word to him, never saw the guy again, read the tract, and he got saved. God lifts him out of New York City, puts him in our Bible college. And John calls me Pop. So all of a sudden, that caught on. 
And I got like 80 kids in a Bible college. Hey, pop. So at Christmas, one girl sent me a card. And she said, thanks for letting me call you pop. I never had a pop. Boy, that touched my heart. That really touched my heart. We need to communicate love. We need to tell people we love them. We need to say it. We need to express it. We need to hug them. We need to kiss them. We need to show it. You need to compliment them and you do nice things for them. You do, you do loving things. That's how you show people you love them. Let me say, secondly, you need to communicate appreciation. Everybody wants to be appreciated. Nobody wants to be taken for granted. I, I married my wife because I wanted her to love me. I wasn't looking for a cook. I wasn't looking for a cleaning lady. I was looking for somebody to love me. I, I needed somebody to love. And I needed somebody to love me. So don't treat your wife like you own them. Treat them like you're trying to win them. There's a gunsmith in our area, and I collect old guns. And the name of his company is the way it used to be. If you want your marriage to be the way it used to be, do what you used to do. Before you took your wife or your husband for granted and just got used to them. Don't, be used, don't get used to being saved. And don't get used to being married. We're just passing through this world. We're not staying. And it doesn't last forever. We go to Ocean City. It's an amusement park near our house. It's on Ocean. And there's a, a pier there. Wonderland Pier. And they have rides for the kids. And at 1030 at night, the announcer comes on and he says, they're closing is what's happening. And here's how they close. They say, all good things must come to an end. You know, in the Bible, over and over it says, and it came to pass. It came to pass. We're just pilgrims passing through. And God puts us together. You know, can I say this? A church is a family. Man, I'm as close to a lot of people in the church as I am to my own family. They love me, I love them. That's the way it's supposed to be. Not everybody, but that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, my grandkids, my kids, my brother, my sisters, we're related by blood. But can I tell you something? If you're in this room and you're saved, we're related by blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. We are one. In Christ Jesus. The Bible says, you know, we're brothers and we're sisters in Christ. We're family. There's a song that says, I'm glad I'm a part of the family of God. So, we want to communicate appreciation and we want to communicate approval. Don't just say something when something's wrong. Don't just say what you don't like. You know, your wife cooks a big dinner and uh, the potatoes are cold. What about all the things that were great? Mrs. Clark and I were going to counsel a lady about a year ago, a lady in our church. And she came to us and 
She said, I'm, I'm leaving my husband. I'm getting a divorce. And uh, I was shocked. And I said to her, I said, does he beat you up? And she looked at me and she said, no. He beats me down. He beats me down. Don't beat your kids down. Build them up. Don't beat your pastor down. Build them up. Build your sweetheart up. Build people up. There's enough in this world to tear people down. You don't have to keep anybody humble. They'll be humble enough. We need to be builders of people. It's all about people. It's all about family. It's all about the Lord. I'm, I'm, I got to move really, really fast. We're going to go through this. Look in Ruth, chapter number one. Um, give me a minute just to get there. You know these verses. Verse 16, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or return from following after thee. Where you go, I'll go. And where thou lodge, I'll lodge. And thy people be my people. And thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. There's companionship. There's closeness. There's commitment. We live in a world where people don't want to make commitments. People live together, but they won't get married. They don't want to make that commitment. Marriage is a commitment. Let me say it again. Marriage is a commitment until death do us part. Until death do us part. In 1519, 1519, Hernando Cortez, a Spanish conquistador, comes to Mexico, and he and his men are outnumbered. Montezuma and his men outnumber Cortez 300 to 1. 300 to 1. Cortez lands his conquistadors, and while they're still on the beach before they march, he burns the ships. All the ships they came in, he burned them. Listen, there was no turning back. There's no turning back. The ships are burnt. You don't get into marriage like, well, let's try it and see how it happens. Let's just see, you know. I, don't, I like Bible terms. I don't like people say, try Jesus. Try Jesus. Let Jesus in your life. No, you need to repent and get saved and call upon the name of the Lord. And, and marriage isn't, well, you know, I live with somebody for six months and if we get along, maybe we'll think about getting married. No, no, no. Till death do us part. There's got to be a commitment. And let me say this. There's got to be a commitment in your life to Christ. There's got to be, just like there's a companionship in marriage, just like there's a closeness in marriage, just like there's a commitment in marriage, all those things apply to the Lord. To to walk with the Lord and to fellowship with the Lord and be close to the Lord and be committed to the Lord. Jesus said, if any man put his hand in the plow and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. Paul said, forgetting those things that are past, press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling 
of God in Christ Jesus. Look at Malachi, chapter number two. We'll be done in a couple minutes, I promise. Malachi, chapter number two. And this goes along with what we just read in Ruth. In Malachi, chapter two, and verse 14, I'll just pick it up there. It says, because the Lord has been witness between thee and thy wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. That's a terrible thing. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. The wife of thy covenant. And then in verse 15, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith, he hateth putting away. Now, the Bible says in Malachi, the wife of your covenant. When you get married, you have wedding vows. A covenant is a sacred promise. Brother Brother Brown's going to be teaching on the covenants. God has covenants that he's made with man. A covenant is a sacred promise between a man and a woman when they get married. But let me tell you something. It's not just a promise that you make to your wife or a promise you make to your husband. It's a promise you make to God. When you come to a church and you make those wedding vows, you're doing that in the presence of God. And the Bible says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. So we need to remember that it's a that my wife and I have a covenant. Just like there's all these different covenants, the new covenant, my wife and I, we have a covenant. We have a sacred promise, a sacred relationship that we are commanded to live up to. And then let me close with this, please. In Matthew chapter 7, most important word, most important out of all the words. In Matthew chapter 7, the Bible says, um, I'm in Mark, give me just a minute. You get brain dead after you get old. I always blame it on being old, but I used to do that when I was young too. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 24. The Lord Jesus says, Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I liken him to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now here's two men. Jesus said there's a wise man. He builds his house on the rock. And the winds are going to come. And the floods are going to come. And the storms are going to come. But the house that's built on a rock is going to stand. He says a man that hears the word and does it is a wise man. The Bible says be doers of the word, not hearers only to see your own soul. And then he says there's a foolish man. And he builds his house, but he builds it on the sand. He doesn't have that sure foundation. And the winds come, the storm comes, 
The house that's built on the sand falls. You know who that rock is. That rock is Christ. He is the rock of our salvation. Our church is the solid rock. Baptist church. People will tell you, well, it takes two. People getting married. Everybody tells them, you know, it takes two in marriage. Well, excuse me. It takes three. It takes three. The husband has to work at it. And the wife has to work at it. But you've got to remember the Lord, your, your relationship, your marriage, your family, it has to be built on the Lord. You have to have that solid ground. Mrs. Clark and I were real young when we got married. I already told you that. The week before we got married, there was another couple that we went to school with, and they got married. They had their reception at the fire hall in our town. I remember going to reception. And uh, they got married one week before we did. And maybe, I don't know how many years later, the husband went in the bathroom and took a pistol and put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Now, his wife... I'd seen her several times. I thought it was odd. Back then, you didn't have cell phones, but I saw her in a telephone booth. We had a telephone booth down the street from the house, and she would be in that telephone booth. And I thought, I wonder who she's talking to that she can't call him from the house. And right after that, he put the pistol in his mouth. He pulled the trigger. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. I don't know where I would be. I don't know where my wife would be. I don't know what our kids would be doing. If one for the grace of God. The only difference between us and them is we got saved and they didn't. That's the only difference. You don't, listen, you don't know where you'd be if it wasn't for the Lord. This Wednesday night, Lord willing, I'll be preaching in the Atlantic City Rescue Mission. Trump Castle's there and all the Trump buildings, big lit up Trump. I never have seen him at the rescue mission. But when I go to that rescue mission, I look at those people in that rescue mission, and I think this every time I go. But for the grace of God, I could be in this rescue mission that somebody else could be doing the preaching. It's just the grace of God. Christ makes all the difference. Christ makes all the difference. I want you to look at one verse, and we're done. I know I already said it about three times. Look in Proverbs 31. I was doing a wedding, I guess it's been over 20 years ago. I got up and I tried to challenge the bride and the groom and I tried to say things that would be meaningful and I did everything I could. And I felt afterwards kind of like Edward Everett. Edward Everett was the guy that spoke for an hour and 45 minutes before Lincoln got up and gave a few words. We got in the receiving line. I was going to greet the bride and the groom. And there was a man in the church in front of me. And he took the groom's hand and he said this. He said, if you want her to treat you like a king, treat her like a queen. 
And I thought, I wish I'd have said that. But let me say to you, if you want her to treat you like a king, treat her like a queen. And if you want him to treat you like a queen, treat him like a king. Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. In verse number 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Husband, when's the last time you praise your wife? Young person, when's the last time you blessed your mother? I do tons of funerals. I have a funeral director in our church. He's an Italian Catholic man that got saved. And a lot of Catholics in our area, it's amazing, but the, the church won't, won't bury him. The priests don't want to be bothered. They don't want to do the funerals, so I do the funerals. So I do a lot of funerals. People, some are saved, some are not saved. But here's what people do at funerals. They have the casket there, and somebody in the family, maybe the daughter, maybe the son, maybe a sister, they get up, and they read a poem. They have some written things. They talk about how great their mother was or how great their wife was how great the person was. And as I wait for my turn to speak, here's what I always think. Did they tell her that when she was alive? At funerals, there are two kinds of tears. There's tears of sorrow. And you can comfort people that have tears of sorrow. You can comfort them with the word of God. But there's two kinds of tears. The other tears are tears of regret. And you cannot comfort people who have tears of regret. If you don't do what you're supposed to do now, you're going to be sorry later. I'm all done. Preacher's coming.